Good morning. Oh, let me look, look at you. Let's get a good look at you. Wow, nice to see you. Very good to see you here today. I'm, I'm so excited to have a chance to share with you. Um, I just want to say that this morning, I will be preaching an, a word of encouragement to myself. And hopefully you will also be encouraged. You know, uh, it says in scripture that we should gather together to encourage one another. And uh, who here needs a little encouragement? Yeah, me too. Raise it high. Oh, Jesus. Would you, would you encourage us today, Lord? Thank you that you see every person, all of our assorted needs, our assorted conditions, our assorted uh, concerns, and you have the answer for us, Lord. And so I just pray that you would take my words and that whatever any individual needs to hear, that they would pick that thing up, that you would hand deliver it, and that I would get the word I need too, Lord, even if it has to come out of my own mouth. You can even speak through donkeys, apparently. Uh, thank you that I'm not a donkey. Thank you that I'm your beloved daughter. I just confess and affirm that in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Lord, we welcome your presence. Now, Kwok kind of already gave away part of the reason why I need encouragement. My 18-year-old baby, on Tuesday, he took off. He was on a 7 p.m. plane on Hawaiian Airlines to Austin, Texas. We left the house. We were supposed to leave the house about 5. About 4 p.m., his suitcase broke. That was interesting. We had vacuum packed all the shirts and everything. That sucked everything down, pushed it in, put them together, and zip, that was a problem. Preparation is very important. That's part of what I'm going to talk about today. Thankfully, we had another suitcase. We, we took two other suitcases, which my daughter's suitcase, JoJo's suitcase, because she wasn't leaving until Thursday. So this week, I lost both my kids to college. It was really weird driving home from the airport. Thankfully, I had some forethought, and I brought Miso, our dog, with us in the car. So I wasn't alone on the way home, um, both times. Uh, but walking into his room and like seeing the mess, you know, like days before, like a week before, I was nagging, nagging, like, you need to pick this up, you need to put this up. And I was thinking, pretty soon, you won't be able to nag anymore, and you'll be sad. And I was right. So just let it go. Honestly, I really never got super emotional, um, except, I mean, it's been creeping up on me the last three months. I'm pretty good at just being task-oriented, getting things done, you know. But Sunday night, before they both left, we have this get-together at my mom's house. And I just had a little freak-out on the way over there. My mom is 99. My kids are 18 and 20, and they're about to go away for at least three or four months. It would just, you know, I just had a little meltdown, those little dry heaving, you know, like on the way to the car, because it's a real possibility that they might not see her again. Every time I'm with her, I kind of think that, you know. Every time I'm with my mom, 
she loses a little bit more memory. She repeats the same thing again, and my mom is super sharp. My mom has been sending us Morningstar investment reports since I was like 12, <laughs> right? Uh, last week, she was there trying to balance her checkbook, but now it takes her about 24 hours to balance her checkbook. And I feel when I'm with her, I spend two nights a week with her, um, and my sister Karen spends about probably four or five nights a week. Karen, raise your hand. Karen takes great care of our mom. Um, but every time I'm with her, I feel the slipping away. And I'm telling you, transitions, ones that we are in the middle, ones that we're looking back to, ones that we're looking forward to, are so hard. I happen to be in our house, we have uh, some guest spaces. So this week, we had a couple that got displaced from Maui. There was a, a couple from the mainland on their baby moon. They, they were with us, so she's like five months pregnant. Uh, and then we have another couple who's staying with who just moved to Hawaii, and they're like starting life together. And then there's us, and we're like an empty nesters now. You know, and then uh, you know, in, in another week or two, we're going to have our guest uh, speakers for our retreat, Stephen Sidney Nicholson, staying with us. And they're like, you know, like 70. And we are moving past one another all the time in these transitions, in these takeoffs, in these departures. Um, and I just want us to be aware of that. I want you to look to the people on your left and your right and, and just, I want you to just reach out your hand and say, it's okay. You know, we don't know the journeys that we're going through, but you're all going through different ones. Okay, so back to my son, my amazing, awesome son. Let me tell you, I treasure the last 18 years that he spent in our house. But the whole time, from the day he was born, it was with a goal of last Tuesday. I mean, in our family, the context for adulthood has always meant college. In your context, it might mean something else. But since the day he was born, May 19, 2005, we were looking forward to Tuesday. I mean, he cannot stay the rest of his life in his 9 by 12 bedroom in an extra-long twin bed, going to Connor Hendricks' night, uh, nightlife youth meetings, and, and playing volleyball with boys going through puberty. <laughs> in a few years, that would be very awkward. It would be a disgrace to his design as a man, and it would mean an utter failure of our parenthood, right? He has to go. He has to go. It's a loving and productive adulthood that we have envisioned. Now, Jeremiah has also been aware of this, and he has prepared for Tuesday. He prepared way beyond the packing, you know, way beyond, let's see, he got a new laptop, uh, he got, he downloaded, I think he downloaded Spotify, the college plan, you know, but Beyond all that, he has prepared for years. He's been listening to advice. That's a miracle. <laughs> he's worked consistently. He's struggled through failure and got up again and, and did it again. He did a number of sports, uh, didn't always love them. He got up early to read the Bible and pray. Since about maybe age 15 or 16, he would get up early and record the dreams he has, because he's kind of a dreamer, and God would speak to him in his dreams. 
He would stay up late perfecting his papers or doing an extra Japanese lesson because he, he has some sort of gift in Japanese language. It's very weird. I'm Chinese. I don't get it, but he does. <laughs> um, he would stay up late chatting with friends and staying in touch. He went to the gym on his own. He got himself a Y membership. He would go to youth group on his own. He's been practicing for last Tuesday. He applied to colleges. And then he did this very interesting thing. He compared his options. There was a school he really wanted to go to. It was like three minutes from the beach in California. Turns out that if he went to that school, it would take him about 20 years to pay back the debt that he would have. So he didn't take the feel-good school. He took a long-term vision, and he chose a school in Texas. Long-term vision. He said, Mom, I realize I'm not moving there. I'm just going to school. That takes some preparation, some rationality, being wise instead of just emotional about it. Um, so the departure was tearful. I was sad. I tried not to say I was sad, but in the last minute on the car on the way over, I said, I'm going to miss you a lot. But I couldn't have more peace about where you're going. Isn't that a gift? Because departures are tearful. But what really matters is the destination. Departures, I want to say a terrible cuss word, but I won't. Departures are terrible. <laughs> but it's the destination that matters. Now, by the grace of God, I don't have any regrets. I have no regrets about him launching as a college student. Praise God. Now, I wish that I could say that about all the departures in my life, and I can't. And I want to have fewer and fewer of those regrets as we move forward, because my life is not over yet. How about you? God says there is a way to prepare for departures. And that's, we're going to talk about that today. Now, because, so I don't know about you, but when I heard about the Maui fires and the tragedies that happened there, that was really one of the first things that got me. Hundreds of people lost their lives in about three minutes. Or however, those, those winds were going 60 miles an hour, and it was fast. What I saw in my mind was I saw hundreds of souls, hundreds of souls lifting up, leaving their bodies, looking down, suddenly feeling strangely free, not feeling any pain, but looking down over the scene of chaos and wondering which direction they were going. This is happening around us all the time. I know four people who, just in the last two weeks, have lost dear ones. You know, a couple of them were long-term illnesses. Uh, one of them was a gentleman who had dementia for about 10 years, and towards the end, he had his family around him. He was kind of coming in and out of things, and every once in a while, he would say, Praise God! Like, that man had prepared long enough in his life that even when his mind failed, he was ex expressing readiness, and he left just a few days ago. Um, now, thankfully, we have 
awesome voices in our culture that can give us guidance. I would like to, to uh, reference uh, that theological leader, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> he recently published an opinion in an interview uh, about the afterlife. His opinion is that the afterlife is a fantasy, that we won't see one another again in heaven, and he's just really pissed about death. Sorry, that's what he actually said. And his strategy is not to think about it. He said, I have, I have such a great, I can't do it. <laughs> Come on, Antonio, I need your help. That's going to sound terrible. I'll sound like I'll sound East Indian, a Filipino. I won't do it. I have such a great time here that I hate the idea of death. I don't like to think about it. I don't even like to say the word. That's Arnold's approach. But Jesus has something very different. Jesus says it's foolish to skip the obvious facts. We're going to look at scripture here, Luke 12. Uh, 16 to 21. Actually, I'm going to start it a little bit ahead because I think it's kind of interesting. This is what Jesus has to say about preparing for that inevitable takeoff. Um, someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I mean, it's like legal, it's unjust, he's left out in the cold, he needs to take care of his money management. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then, in response to that, he says to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a... Is this the same version? I don't even know. Am I same version? The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. It was a good year in the stock market. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Where will I invest this extra, these dividends? I need to, to do that morning cell report and find out where to put this money. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Don't mention the word death. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Isn't it interesting? For those who are on the top level of sort of this world, if you've been a, a movie star, or maybe a governor, or maybe a wealthy investor, or maybe you know, uh, the a CEO, or maybe a Vogue model, you know, it's easy to say, take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's, that's kind of the words that come from someone who's very satisfied with what they have in this life. It doesn't seem appropriate in that space to mention eternity. But God said to him, You fool! This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you've prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but isn't rich toward God. Ooh, everybody go, ooh. 
Yeah, that's what I mean. Now, another uh, person who I respect a little bit more than Arnold Schwarzenegger, although I do like his work, um, is C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis wrote something super interesting about um, thinking about eternity, thinking about mortality and death. He says it's actually really helpful. It's super helpful to help you live a life that's full and powerful. He said this, a continual looking to, forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It doesn't mean that we're to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Isn't that insightful? Aim at heaven and you get everything. Aim at earth and you don't get nothing. Now, um, this morning, I want to encourage us with these words from Jesus, words from uh, some wise people, but I also want to, to spend a little time talking about some of the testimonies that we are getting and have gotten actually for thousands of years about what we're looking forward to in heaven. The very first one I can think of, actually, one of the earliest ones I can think of is St. Paul. Now, Paul was stoned at one point, left for dead outside of a city wall, and doesn't say too much about it uh, in the in chapter in Acts um, when that happened. It said he was stoned, left for dead, and then later he got up and walked into the city. Now, I have a theory that what happened was that he had a near-death experience because he writes, interestingly, in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, which is a... Uh, sort of a rambling passage about how he's talking about his experiences and how he doesn't want to boast and trying to be humble and but trying to make a point. He says, I know a man in Christ, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows, and he heard things that can't be told, which man may not utter. Paul goes on from this passage very interestingly to say, because of the, the great revelations that he had received, that's why he got this thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. So I have a feeling that the information that Paul received of heavenly things really altered his outlook, but he also kind of needed to stay grounded. That's kind of where we're at. We want to see heaven. We want to stay grounded. Um, but we want to work, as Paul did, to the end of our life, fruitfully, with that, that hope. Um, now, modern medical technology has actually made near-death experiences and reports of near-death experiences crazily common. Um, some people do have trouble talking about uh, what they experience, and some people change their lives because of them, um, but there have been thousands and thousands now of documented 
near-death experiences. Um, as of 2011, so this is a little bit old, over 900 scholarly articles have been published about what's called NDEs, near-death experiences. And at least 55 researchers or teams have published at least 65 studies of over 3,500 near-death experiences. The term was coined by a guy named uh, Professor Raymond Moody. He was a philosophy professor who got interested in these strange stories. And in 1975, he coined that phrase uh, after interviewing hundreds of medically resuscitated people, and he published this bestseller called Life After Life. And uh, studies suggest now that one in every 25 people, or 13 million Americans, have reported an NDE. One in 25. And that's just the people who come out and talk about it. A lot of people find it so intimate, it's hard to share about. Um, there are happy NDE experiences, there are scary NDE experiences. Those, those who have more negative ones tend not to share as much. Um, but there is an un, uh, irrefutable amount of broad information from around the world of people having very common experiences. Um, I want to share with you a couple stories that I find so interesting. Um, this guy, Raymond Moody, first heard this story, uh, and this is the one that got him interested. It's a, in, it was uh, recorded by a guy named George Ritchie, who was an army soldier in 1943 um, in a boot camp in Texas. And this young man had, had gone to boot camp and was on his way to go to medical school, but he got double pneumonia, sadly. And he went into the infirmary hospital to get an x-ray, and he passed out. Actually, he died. He didn't know that he died, but he was clinically dead for nine minutes. And I want to just read to you a little bit about uh, what he described as his experience. Um, I thought back, trying to remember, the x-ray machine. I must have fainted or something. The train! I was going to miss the train! I jumped out of bed in alarm, looking for my clothes, and then I turned around and froze. Someone was lying in that bed. I took a step closer. He was quite a young man with short brown hair, lying very still. But this was impossible. I had just myself gotten out of that bed. For a moment, I wrestled with the mystery of the man in the bed, but I didn't have time. Almost without knowing it, I found myself outside the hospital, racing swiftly along, traveling faster, in fact, than I'd ever moved in my life. It was not as cold as it had been earlier in the evening. It felt neither cold or hot, actually. A town flashed beneath me, caution lights blinking at the intersection. This was ridiculous. A human being could not fly without an airplane. Anyway, I was traveling too low for a plane. An extremely broad river was below me now, and there was a long high bridge, and on the far bank, the largest city I'd come to yet. I wished I could go down and find someone who could give me directions. I caught a flickering blue glow. It came from a neon sign over the door of a red-roofed one-story building with a Pabst Blue Ribbon beer sign propped up in the front window. 
Cafe, the jittering letters over the door read, and from the windows, light streamed onto the pavement. Now, it's a super interesting story. I'm not going to read all of it to you, but later on, George Ritchie was resuscitated, and several years later, he was on a road trip with friends and found that very same cafe with the Pabst blue ribbon sign in the window. He had never been there before. Um, let me read a little bit more about it. Uh, he had an encounter uh, at some point. He came back to the hospital confused, wondering what to do. And in the hospital room, he said um, he encountered a very bright light, a brilliant light. And this is a common feature in a lot of these experiences. Whether the person is a Christian or a, a Hindu or a Muslim, they, many people encounter a bright light who turns into a man. Uh, I saw that it was not light, but a man who had entered the room, or rather, a man made out of light. The instant I perceived him, a command formed itself in my mind. Stand up! The words came from inside me, yet they had an authority my mere thoughts had never had. I got to my feet, and as I did, came the stupendous certainty, you're in the presence of the Son of God. And then he said, I felt an astonishing love, a love beyond my wildest imagining. This love knew every unlovable thing about me, the quarrels with my stepmom, my explosive temper, the sex thoughts I couldn't control, every mean, selfish thought and action since the day I was born, and accepted and loved me just the same. When I say he knew everything about me. This was simply an observable fact. For into that room, along with his radiant presence, had also entered every single episode of my entire life. Everything that had ever happened to me was simply there, in full view, contemporary and current, all seemingly taking place at that moment. How was this possible? I didn't know. Um, that's also a very common experience uh, that folks have, which is what's called a life review. Some people report it being like a chronological step-by-step. -step. You know, you're watching a movie, uh, bright lights or angels acting it out with you. Other times people say it all comes all at once. Um, uh, but at the end of that life review, a large percentage of people have a very similar uh, message given to them, and it's this. What have you done with your life? Or what have you done with your life to show me, George Ritchie said. The question, like everything else proceeding from him, had to do with love. How much have you loved with your life? Have you loved others as I'm loving you, totally, unconditionally? Why? I had not known love like this was possible. Someone should have told me, I thought indignantly. Find time to discover what life was all about. I did tell you. But how? Still wanted to justify myself, he said. How could he have told me and I didn't, hadn't heard? I told you by the life I lived. I told you by the death I died. And if you keep your eyes on me, you'll see more. 
Isn't that fascinating? I'm sure that raises for you, as it did for me, a lot of questions, stirred up a lot of hope, but also a lot of, huh, self-reflection. George Ritchie um, ended up finishing, went to med school. He was a doctor for 13 years, practiced, and he ended up founding the precursor to this, the Peace Corps, interestingly enough. And at 40, he earned a, a PhD in psychiatry. So he lived a very full life. And this experience he had continued uh, to be something he shared with people, continued to uh, motivate the way he lived. Um, this book that I'm reading from is called Imagine Heaven by John Burke, and it references hundreds of near-death experience stories like this. I, he, I appreciate it because the way he does it is he tries to focus first on stories from people who have a lot to lose by making up crazy stories and who have very little profit motive. So he focuses on like surgeons, neurosurgeons, cardiologists, professors, um, pilots, people who have, uh, would have a reason to not look crazy. He also mentions lots of kids, uh, especially um, from Muslim, Buddhist, or Hindu countries. And interestingly, I love this, and, and you'll see this as you begin to read not only um, reports from this book, but from other reports of NDEs. Um, a lot of kids tend to encounter, when they pass into the next life, uh, even for a temporary visit, they tend to meet their favorite childhood pets. I just love that. Um, there's so many stories of people uh, finding or being greeted by their dog or, you know, their cat. I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of our pets there. And I've got a 16-year-old girl right now who may be there soon. So, um, you know, we're right in that transition place. Uh, some kids meet other siblings they've never known about. There's multiple stories like that. Uh, one little Dutch girl, five years old, uh, when she, she died of meningitis temporarily, and when she went over to their side, she was uh, welcomed by a girl who seemed about 10 years old. And the girl said, oh, I'm your sister. And she gave her her name, some little Dutch name. I can't say it. Uh, <laughs> Metje, something like that, I don't know. I should look it up. Um, and when she woke up, she told her parents, well, I met my sister, and they ran from the room in shock because they indeed had had a daughter, that name, they had, who had died of poisoning, and had, they had decided to never tell their kids until they were old enough to, uh, to understand. But see, you see, the veil is very thin. The veil is very thin. Don't be sad. There is so much just beyond what we can see. And it is, the reports of what people uh, say is, is a sense of aliveness, of awareness, of movement like the speed of thought, uh, incredible love, a sense of being known who you actually are, finally. Um, and almost everybody who has a positive experience, who meets this bright light, who feels this freedom, who's, who's left behind the pain of their body, they say, I don't want to go back. And like a percentage of them, I think it's 58%, uh, they say uh, they were aware that they are offered a decision and that, you know, the, the Lord says, you have to go. You know? Or, you know, there was a, 
a story of a man who died in a car wreck with his wife and two children. And on the other side, the wife was holding him, and she said, Honey, you have to go. And he said, I don't want to go. I want to stay here with you. He could feel her. And then the thought occurred to him, Where are my kids? And then he said, I have to go. And when he came back, his, uh, I think his 13-year-old was crying in the back seat, and the wife and the baby had died. But we are not alone, and we will not be alone. The reason why many of these folks say they're told they have to go back is because they're given instructions, because they're given a chance to redirect their life to include more love. Um, let's just throw up real quick. Um, uh, Laurie, number four, there's a, a list here of um, some of the core traits that um, most people, or I guess it's from a study of like 1,300 um, NDEs that this guy, uh, Jeffrey Long, is an oncologist, collected. He's now collected like th over 3,000 NDEs. But um, there's a list of, of things that people tend to go through. And what he says about these is that uh, they're highly lucid and ordered experiences. And for people who are flatline, flatline EEG, um, you can't account for that. They're not hallucinations because the brain can't do that. Um, he said the electrical activity in the lower part of the brain um, could not account for the kind of highly lucid and ordered experience that's described by so many ND ears, they call them. But so there's uh, these 12 different things he lists. They realize you're separated from your body, 75%, you get a 74% experience a heightened like, ability, awareness. Um, uh, 76% say they're generally positive, intense emotions. Some pass through a tunnel. Uh, majority meet a mystical or brilliant light. Uh, over half met other beings or friends, sometimes are angels or deceased relatives. Um, over half sense a change in time and space. Like a lot of them said, I could see super far away, and the things I saw far away were like they were super close. Like I could. There was no vision um, differentiation. 22% uh, uh, got a life review. Like, let me walk with you and let me show you what I see. And what I love about that was some of them mentioned when they had their life review, what they experienced was experiencing their actions from the perspective of all the people around them. So all the words they said, all the things they did, they experienced how other people experienced them. And they saw the ripple effect of all their words and all their actions. You and I are not alone. We live in a community. We live in a time and space place where everything we do has a ripple effect. Over half visited an unworldly, unworldly realm like heaven. People saw amazing flowers and like the northern lights blowing up in the sky and uh, heard music that was indescribably gorgeous, saw colors that don't exist on the earth. Uh, they learned special knowledge. And then some came to a boundary, and it appeared that those who came to a boundary, they knew 
if I go over this boundary, I'm not coming back, that that's the place. Some are told, no, you can't come over, you gotta go back. Um, and then they experience return to their body and however half of them recognize that there was a decision made to come back. I don't know about you, but does this, this encourages me. Does it feel encouraging or does it feel scary? Raise your hand if it feels encouraging. Raise your hand if it feels scary. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you, Mike. Um, and there are some folks who do have what they call hellish NDEs. And I would be, amiss, I would be remiss to not share this with you because Jesus did not hold back from telling us in no uncertain terms that there are two destinations for eternity. We all have an appointment with departure. What matters is the destination. And Jesus said very clearly, I've come so that you can go to the good place. I've come as a decision point so that you can stick with me. And the good place is actually the good place, not the good place in the Netflix series, the good place. Like the good place <laughs> is the place where there's complete love, acceptance, and made who you were meant to be. Um, but I, I do want to, to mention this, and I'm going to read to you uh, a portion of one that is a little intense, but it is ultimately uh, shows you why God might want to give us a heads up and some leadership in this. So a man named... Uh, uh, Howard Storm, he was a professor at Northern Kentucky University. He was on a tour in Paris taking students to museums, but he got a stomach ulcer that perforated um, his duodenum. Duodenum, like I said that. Uh, and he was unable to get the surgery, and he was uh, waiting there because there wasn't a surgeon available. And he basically, um, he, he, he says this, um, I never thought to pray, I never thought about God. I knew that there was no life after death. And so the thought of death certainly terrified me because it just means end. And I told my wife, who was there with him, it's time to say goodbye. Um, his wife sat there and wept, and then he closed his eyes and he passed. Now, I'm not gonna read the whole thing about what he experienced, but in brief, he was welcomed, but not by nice people. He was welcomed by uh, people who looked like they were hospital ward people, and they drew him down into a dark place, and they began to torment him. And he said the f it was physical torment, but worse than that was the emotional torment. He felt completely worthless and unloved and played with um, and mocked, and he just became like nothing on the floor. Um, he says, I don't ever go further than this because it was so demeaning. I don't talk about it. There has never been a horror movie or a book that can begin to describe their cruelty because their cruelty was purely sadistic. They were so empty without compassion or feeling for me that it was just amusement for me to scream and yell and fight back. Um, so he was completely broken down. 
uh, on a scale of one to ten, ten total, um, and it didn't match what I felt on the inside, having been taken down to nothing. And I mean, the worst things that you could possibly imagine had happened to me, and more. And in that place, I heard a voice, which I identified as my voice, except it didn't come from my throat. It's strange, but I felt like it came out of my chest. This voice said, "Pray to God," and I thought, "I don't believe in God. I don't pray." The voice said, "Pray to God," and I thought, "I don't even know how to pray. I couldn't pray if I wanted to pray." The voice said, "Pray to God," and I thought, when I was a boy and I'd gone to Sunday school, we'd been taught prayers. What were those prayers? Now the next part is. It would be funny if it wasn't so serious, but I just love this picture.、Uh, he says he pieced together all he could recall into a ragtag prayer of desperation. Remember, he's dead in the hospital, and he's shouting out in this netherworld, "Yea, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. For purple mountains, Majesty." Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. One nation under God. God bless America. Isn't that good? To my amazement, the cruel, merciless beings tearing the life out of me were incited to rage by my ragged prayer. It was as if I was throwing boiling oil on them. They screamed at me, "There is no God. Nobody can hear you. Now we are really going to hurt you." They spoke in the most obscene language, worse than any blasphemy I'd said on earth. But at the same time, they were backing away. Now this made me want to pray more, because for the first time I was able to hit back at them. The prayers were clobbering, and I also noticed that the more I muttered and tried to articulate anything that had God in it, like "Glory, glory, hallelujah, His truth goes marching on," they would retreat further and further away. I'll skip ahead.、Um, as Howard lay alone in the dark,、uh, feeling himself slipping into hopelessness because they backed away, but he was still just laying there, a few words from a song he hadn't heard since childhood came to his head, and he could only remember three words: "Jesus loves me," and the tune.、Mm-hmm. Yet it tapped deep into a longing and ignited it. Tiny spark of hope, and now all of a sudden it was all I had. I had nothing else. I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel of what might be possible, and I thought, why would Jesus care about me? Even if he is real, why would he care? He must hate me. I'm so sorry. I thought enough of this. I'm done. I haven't done anything else. I wanted it to be true that Jesus loved me, and I yelled into the darkness, Jesus, save me! I have never meant anything more strongly in my life, and when I said that, I saw light—a tiny little speck of light—and it very rapidly got very bright and came over to me. And I saw out of the light hands and arms emerge out of this impossibly beautiful light, so intense 
It's way brighter than the sun. And these hands and arms came out and they reached and they touched me. And when they touched me in that light, I could see me and all the gore. And I was roadkill. All that gore began to just dissolve. And I became whole. And much more significantly to me than the physical healing was that I was experiencing a love that is beyond, far beyond words. I've never been able to articulate it, but I can say that if I took all the, my experiences of love in my entire life and can condense it into a moment, it still wouldn't begin to measure up to the intensity of this love that I was feeling. And that love is the foundation of my life from that moment on. Howard Stern, he miraculously revived. There was a purpose in that visit. He left his career as a university professor and the chairman of his art department to become a pastor. And what would motivate an avowed atheistic professor to give up tenure and his life's work to make up a story of visiting hell? Um, Brick says we could write it off if it was the only NDE like this, but there are many. Okay, I'm going to bring this home. Bring this home, come on, bring it home. Um, I have not had NDE yet, um, but I have had um, some dreams, and I'm a big dreamer. Uh, and let me just say this. NDEs appear to be temporary visits with a purpose of coming back. Jesus um, chooses, apparently, to show people what's out there. It doesn't mean that that's where they're going. It just means it's what they needed to see. Um, and that aligns with the scripture's uh, explanation that God wants us in this life to choose life. We get the choice, and Jesus is the decision point of that. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little dream. Two years ago, actually August 2021, I had one of the most amazing, incredible, intense, wonderful dreams I've ever had in my life. And I won't tell the whole thing, but in it, I felt myself flying up uh, through the stars to islands, up in, like, up in the space. Like, I could see, like, islands, and I was approaching. I was filled with tremendous joy. It was delightful. I was just beside myself. And I entered into, in these islands, what looked like a marina. And it had a little, um, like, a, like a, a station where you could get into these lines that led to these portals, and there were three portals. And they were like kind of cordoned off like Disneyland, you know, little ropes. And um, at the front of each of these portals was, interestingly, the face of a man. There were three faces, which is very interesting. There, I had a little guide, a gal with a little suit and short, dark hair. She shows up in my dreams sometimes. And she uh, had me waiting there, and I was just looking. And the three faces were very interesting to me. The face on the left was, uh, the fa face on the left and the face in the middle were like comedic, silly, ridiculous faces, like big noses, big ears, 
you know, weird kind of squished, scrunchy eyes. Um, and the one on the left was more pronounced that way. He kind of looked like um, Don Knotts. <laughs> if anybody knows that old comedian, Don Knotts, you know, like very, um, I would say, foolish. That's the role that Don Knotts plays in a lot of these, these old movies. He's the fool. And the middle face was still kind of silly, but looked like somebody I knew from an old church. <laughs> with kind of more of a silly, like just not quite together kind of face. And then the one on the, the right was nondescript. I actually don't remember too much about that face on the right. And um, the, the guide said to me, oh, your father has given money to buy your ticket. And I was like, oh, thank you. I was so happy that my dad had bought me a ticket, so I didn't have to pay my ticket. And so uh, then I, I went through the portal on the right, uh, and I met my father, who I think is a symbol of my heavenly father, but looked like dad, Edmund Lum, and he was wearing a red Aloha shirt, and he, was, <laughs> he looked pretty good. And then I followed him onto a boat. And as we went onto the boat, I also saw, interestingly, very specifically, two groups of people. One was a mother, an Asian mother, with her two Asian daughters. And then there was a man, a, kind of a gray-haired man, uh, with a serious face and like gray eyes, very arresting gray eyes. And I just observed that. That's all I want to say about that dream. But what that made me as I woke up and I processed that dream for a long time was I thought, what? What's this with the silly faces? Why do silly faces make a difference? What's the deal with fools and wise people? How does that relate to eternity at all? Isn't heaven and hell about serious stuff like evil and good, you know, righteousness and morality? Isn't that how you get to heaven? Isn't it like good and bad? What's, why do these lines to different destinations have the faces of a fool or a face of like a a non-foolish person on it. What does that mean? And then I began to reflect on some of the scriptures, such as the one that we read earlier from Luke 12. In that, Jesus says, to the man who is not prepared for his takeoff, you're a fool. This was totally changeable. It was obvious, I told you. You could have. And, and so it's foolish to skip the obvious things. I want to encourage you as, as we, we end. God is inviting us to be wise, and he has a promise for those who are wise. I love this, this scripture from Daniel 12. It affirms everything that we've heard about in these NDEs and in scripture from Jesus and different prophets through the Old Testament. Daniel the prophet says this. This is what God says to Daniel at the end of the book. He really liked Daniel a lot. He showed Daniel a lot of cool stuff. God says to Daniel, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That's 
who God calls us to be. And here's the good thing about wise. Wise is not the same as smart. Wise is not the same as gifted. According to Jesus, he's the best. What he says about wise in his teachings, he says, wise is simply following through on what I say. Wise is putting my words into action and not just hearing them. His parable about the, the builder who built his house on the rock, it wasn't that that one guy was like, like super strong, awesome builder, DIY guy. It was just that he put the words into action. That's what wisdom is. So when God says, hey, choose Jesus, decide for Jesus, it's totally doable. It doesn't take someone who went to college. It doesn't take, you know, uh, any particular skill to follow through and to just do what the Lord has taught. Um, last scripture, John 5, 24, Jesus, deciding for Jesus, is the first wise move to make. He said, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. But whoever rejects me rejects God who sent me, and God won't force anybody to accept him if he's not wanted. All right. Good news. Taking off. Good news. Do you have work to do? Yeah, me too. Is it doable? Yes. I want you to turn to someone and say, it's totally doable. You got this. You got this. Well, I'm running late because I'm long-winded and I have fun talking to you. And I love you guys. I'm so glad that you're here today. It's a privilege to share this with you. It's a privilege to tell you uh, what's waiting for you, a privilege to... Uh, give you eyes for heaven. Um, but we're kind of run out for prayer ministry time. So would you stand with me? And I just want to have our prayer ministers come forward. If you're in the prayer ministry team, come on forward. If you are someone who needs to decide for Jesus, don't wait. Do it today. Come up to one of these people and say, hey, I want to decide for Jesus. I want to be a wise guy. I don't want to be a foolish person, and they'll pray with you and say, hey, that, that's, that's awfully smart of you to do that. Let's do that. If you have another prayer need, um, come on up, um, and these folks will lay a hand on your shoulder and pray for you. Um, love you guys. Thanks for being here this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, you rock. We are small. You are awesome. You've made a way for us. I pray that today will be the beginning of a, a hope and encouragement and a fresh start. Uh, we thank you. In Jesus' name.